Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Data-Driven Real Estate Podcast, the podcast for real estate professionals dedicated to driving business success through data. My name is Aaron Norris, and with us today, we have Eric B. Eric B. is going to share with you some insights on how he went from an appraiser to real estate investor and eventually a consultant, but he's got a two-year hilarious journey before he finally pulled the trigger that only a true data geek would appreciate. We also talk about the importance of funnels. What is it? And his role as a consultant driving leads down funnels, strategies that work, strategies that are changing because of COVID-19. And we also talk about marketing through the the framework of the PESO model, paid, earned, shared, and own, the importance of each of those channels to drive authority, looking at the data that matters most. You won't want to miss this week. Let's get started. Hey, Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. I, I worked on this list of questions that is, by the way, in our portal. It's where I sort of, the, in our community, what I do is I sort of build the line of questioning that I think I'm going to ask. doesn't mean I'm always going to get to all of these, and I have a feeling you and I aren't going to get to all of them today, but I really appreciate you taking the time. I would love to start to, uh, with your journey, how you got into real estate, you became a marketing expert. Um, after high school, where did you go? Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate it, and and I'm uh, deeply honored to to be here with you. I I uh, have been I've been following you know you and your father for a long time, and it's cool. It, it was uh, a fun fun way to connect. So thank you for having me here, and I really appreciate it. And um, man, my journey, like, gosh, you know, it's been a it's been a lifetime for me. Honestly, you know, um, you always kind of get that question. Well, how long you been in real estate, right? And and for me, the honest answer has been my whole life. Uh, I was born and raised in, in a family. Uh, my dad's a real estate appraiser. He's still appraising on the on his twilight years uh, on out. Um, wow. Yeah, you know he's st- he's still doing it. And um, but so like my first job was, um, and I'm sure you have similar stories, but it's like my first job was painting the rental house. you know, like, and doing the mowing the lawn over there and taking care of this. And because that's, it was a family business, right? You know, just in a, and not on a grand scale of anything, but that's what our family did. My dad was an appraiser. My mom, you know, stay at home and uh, number one mom and, and, um, but landlord, right? So we are always doing, you know, that was the business. And um, so that's how I grew up. And so right out of, uh, and it was a le- my dad's a lifestyle guy, and so I grew up in a very active uh, family. So I was competing in a lot of different things. My dad's a uh, a motorcycle racer, can skier, and oh. and so we you know we were doing you know very very active uh, family, and so that's just the environment that I grew up in, and and so I was uh, had my sport, and and I was competing at at high levels, and through you know eighteen nineteen things start getting serious, you know and. If whatever you're doing, you you know, if you're passionate about what you're doing, it's starting to get the talent is showing up at those ages. And um, so for me, it was motorcycle racing and and I was traveling all over and, and doing that in um, in my dad with my dad, you know, and so we were just, you know, doing this together. And so uh, right out of high school, I got into appraising, went right into family business and got my appraisal license and and just went with the lifestyle with my you know, I could immediately, I knew, recognized that the door of real estate was in front of me and that, you know, I had the opportunity to learn it and um, to get to know it. And, and I, my dad is my best friend and I really respected the way he did his, his gig. And, and so I just really connected with that. And so I did that and, and it allowed my opportunity to make grown up type money, right? at a young age. Okay. <laughs> right. And, and have the flexibility of my time. So I was traveling all over and I was appraising and I could come back and I could disappear and I could come back and disappear. And, and I bought a house at a young age, you know? So I was just like doing, you know, more grown up activities when my friends were in college and, and partying a lot and, you know, and doing a lot of different things. I was always kind of on this, like, professional track, although it was also mixed in my lifestyle. So that's the answer. I was really just passionate about my, my, um, my lifestyle and real estate was the answer there. It was the, the, the gateway to the means to do all the fun stuff early on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that, so that led to like 
six years of appraising full time, you know, so mm -hmm. for, from 2000 to 2006, that's all I did was appraise full time with my dad. So two to three appraisals a day. <laughs> oh, and then Oh six. So clearly this is <laughs> right. And then and enter in <laughs> enter the great recession. All right. Yeah. What walk us through it. Yeah. You know, and what a great learning lesson. So as an appraiser front row seat, Holy cow. Right. You know, looking in hindsight, man, like all of the signs and everything I was a, like I said, it affected the family business in every way, it affected business relationships in every way. It was like I get goosebumps when I tell the story because um, it, it, the ripple effect in the scars, you know, like, Shay. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So, um, you know, of course, we survived and my dad did everything else. But this was when Zillow, uh, the automated valuations were getting more prevalent, you know, and then more accurate. And all of a sudden, you know, like, holy cow, I remember dinner table conversations. Is appraising still going to be around? You know, Zillow is a Seattle company. We're, so I'm born and raised in Seattle. And, and um, you know, so like Zillow was always on the forefront of us as appraisers. And you know, the appraisers are older community. And I'm the youngest appraiser by 20 years in any class and anything and anything I did. I was always 20 years minimum <laughs> by young. And um, so I was just kind of watching all this stuff. And, and uh, I was always knew like, you know what, we got to hedge our bets with real estate game. And my dad was like, man, just... I know you and your personality, you got to get your broker's license, start looking at different angles within real estate to start playing, you know, you know, buying real estate, just look at it from different angles. Um, because who knows what's happening right now with the liar loans and the this and that and the, you know, the bubble of the way it was coming down and, and the leverage to the appraisers, you know, that were inflating the art, the, the refis and, and you know like i remember those being on my desk and in like the ethical battle of like you either are going to get this value or you're not going to get the job do you want more jobs in the future you're going to get these values mm. you get it yeah like, that stuff was around all over the place and it was like, holy cow. And then the appraisal management and cut the fees and all this stuff. And so like, yeah, so I had to get diverse in real estate. So I got my broker's license and I had my appraiser license for five years. And so I got to skip right to the broker status. Oh, okay. You know, right. And because there's your example, you know, after you have five years of appraisal licensing and everything else. So, so I got to get my broker's license right away. And, and so I was doing traditional real estate appraising, you know, and then, buy, fix and sell, you know, like, Oh, okay. Now, um, like, remember I was just listening to Sean O'Toole and, and his enter in with foreclosure radar. I remember when foreclosure radar became a thing. And I remember being like, Holy cow, that like that changed the game. Like for the people that were, if okay. you remember before, <laughs> you know what a, a market was as far as just access to data, consistent data, things were, that were accurate. You could, I used to, during this time, um, I was so curious. I remember the aha moment when I realized that people bought real estate at below market value. Like, wait a minute. So most people, everybody's buying at market value that sets market value, but then there's some people that buy it below market. How much, Oh, hundreds of thousands below sometimes. Like, and I remember that just being like, holy cow, there's a whole underworld of real estate. Mm -hmm. And I always looked at this lens of retail value and I was, I'm an appraiser, we, you know, and all these things. Right. And so I just remember when I just, that game just kind of like clicked for me and I was like, whoa, okay, I got to study this. I got to know this. And so I didn't have money. I didn't understand hard money. I didn't understand the, the game for really what it was at this moment. But I started going to the foreclosure auctions and just studying. it. And just in my wife and I, um, we, we were crazy this way. We went to every foreclosure auction for like two years, uh, every Friday and just showed up and, and um, just, it was turned into networking. Right, you know who's there, and it's okay, hey, okay. What's he buying? Ah, oh, okay. Then, and then you snacks. See, talk yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's talking crap on who? Oh, okay. Wow, that's though. That's how these two play against the. Oh, I started seeing the game for what it was. Two years. Uh, what's that? Two years. I, I I went every Friday. 
in my local market for two years. And, but, but I, every time I, I did, I picked five houses that I would hypothetically buy. And so I would appraise them prior. So like through, through the week, I would pick five houses then okay. I would go drive them because I'm out in the field doing appraising anyway. So I would just be like, okay. And then I would nail down my opinion of value of it. So then when I would go to Friday, it would be like, I would have my files and it was as if I was buying, I would like mock play kind of, and, and then I would see what they would actually sell for. So I would get the perspective of like, okay, this is what the value is. Here's the comps. This is what, da, da, da. this is what it sold for. Okay. Wow. What a great wow. idea. Then just start watching it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, okay. So then that, then I started trying to figure out the math. Okay. So are they making how much or what? Okay. And then, da, da, da. and, um, and I was doing this kind of obsessively, if you will, in that moment where I just built files, I treated it like an appraisal. It was just the same process. So I had a little file and I had a file cabinet and my dad's friend, uh, came over, you know, in the appraisal office. And at one point, like, what is that? And I'm like, Oh, this is what I do. I go on Friday and I tell him this is my stupid, you know, what I do. And he's like, man, I can't believe you do this. Like, when are you going to finally buy one? And I'm like, right. well, I don't have money, you know? Okay. I don't, you know, I don't I, like still learning, right. Still the ne- connecting, right. Just like, I, I don't know, you know? And it, he's like, well, man, you can do it this way, this way, or this way. And he started talking about lend. Well, I could lend you money. Right. Okay. And then, Oh, private money. Oh, well, well, I have this line of equity that I, you know, that I have at 5% and not shoot. I'll lend it to you at 10. I'm like, Oh, Holy cow. So then this dot started connecting and I started showing up to the auction with the loaded gun, right. Wow. Okay. With a, with a check. And then, but I never bought one. I came really close because I learned that that's the riskiest place to buy. (laughs) It's, it's, we've, we've covered that a few times on the show. The trustee sales, particularly in states like, I I don't know the other markets, but California, brutal. My brother was in that space for a really long time. And I mean, he had a CRM system. He was using property radar. He had built a custom CRM system where he knew the people that were bidding and for what companies. And if you showed up green, they would run you up. So you never showed up again. It was brutal. So good for you. I mean, but wow, two years of never pulling the trigger. Two years, yeah. Two, well, so it was, it was about 18 months of like going there with no no money and then it was like six months of going there with a loaded gun you know like you know i had cashier's check and i'd show up and i was like nervous having them you know with going through all that stuff but i was really strict on my numbers okay. you know like i just like there's the line and and i remember <laughs> that emotional jousting in the eye-to-eye contacts that happen i mean it's like it's like it's game time you know and um and so I never metrics in your data though. That that's key. So good for you. That says a lot. Yeah. And, and so, but then I, then the wholesalers, then I figured out like, Oh, you can buy st- you know, from these people and this, that, and the other thing. So that's oh, other that was my entrance. Okay. That so was, other avenues to buy besides trustee sale. Okay. <laughs> that was my entrance, you know? Oh, you know, like, okay. You know, I can actually perform due diligence on a property before I buy it. Oh, wow. Okay. There's other opportunities. There's other avenues and, Okay, this is the wild, wild west. Those are really gunslingers. Those are the real, that, okay, got it. You don't need, oh, you can play over here. Okay, you know, and then I just figured that out that like, you know, like there's different ways to play the game and different approaches. And so uh, I started to develop that and get really interested in, in volunteering to all the RIAs, you know, like that's what I did. You want to know like the truth, like I'm a kind of a grinded out guy. If you can't tell, like I'm a, I show up enthusiastically to work. Um, I like, I like that. That's how my dad is. That's, you know, how we play our sports. And, um, you know, so like I show up to RIAs and, and I volunteered. What do you guys need? How can I help? So is that, is that how you for, sort of fell into the fortune builders game? Everything. Wow. Everything, everything I do is like, around that principle. So uh, the fortune builder brand, I I mean, obviously Than Merrill is very well known, the TV show. Um, What was your role within the company while you were there? Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where, where I'm going here is like, that's exactly where I met Than. I was at a RIA event in my local, you know, town in 2006, right when all of this was really happening and, and CT Holmes had, was, 
they were on TV at that point. I, I never, I didn't even hear, I wasn't watching TV much. And, you know, so it wasn't, that wasn't anything to me. I was just there at the RIA, but Tham Merrill's at the front of the room and um, Tham Merrill, like he, at that time, you know, like it, it was just kind of one of those moments where, you know, we just connected, you know, like his presentation, me in that moment, what there were, the whole thing just like, boom, we were their beta students we didn't know it at the time but we they were very young and they were just doing their first boot camps and we were yes yeah we'll go being enthusiastic there having a resume and being a doer and it's not that i had all these tremendous results per se except for already a decade or six years in the in the industry right and a very thorough understanding of what it is um so i brought insight I definitely think the the guru education definitely gets a bad rap. Um, I actually heard a lot of good things specifically about fortune builders because they really focused on a lot of tools and funding. And everybody learns differently. I think that's what's interesting. Yeah. Some people really need a format. They want that boot camp experience, uh, sort of like a classroom. You know, it's like getting your MBA. Like for me, I know I educate best with a format where I'm consistent showing up. If you leave me on my own, I'm not always good. <laughs> so everybody learns differently and all the education out there, it's built differently um, and it works for some and not others. And there's a very small percentage of people who pull the trigger and ever execute. So nothing necessarily to do with the educator and more to do with the person involved, but yeah. you were already well on your way to being in executing the business. Just what did... Yeah. What did the bootcamp format do for you that made you pull the trigger? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and something that really I think is important, like, because what I learned is that um, there's a lot of enthusiasm in sales. Okay. And so a big part of sales in general is enthusiasm and getting people into that, that moment of belief into wherever they're going. And I don't, that's sales in anything, right? Um, but in this, the guru seminar sales, they're really great at creating energy and belief and da 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 da. And, and um, so they get a lot of people that, that fire in and go and, and pay big money for different education. Unfortunately, what you see is just that enthusiasm drops off and da 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 da. And, and a lot of people don't make their investment. They don't, they don't get out what they put in. It, it happens a lot. Now, fortune builders, I can tell you with the, the thing that, that really, what I connected with them is that Dan is, um, he's a tremendous leader. He really is. And the thing about fortune builders, man, that he inspired the whole, his whole company that way. So fulfillment was that way. Okay. And so that's a big difference when you, not only when you have a front end sales with all that energy and belief and da da da, people come into, you know, anybody can play real estate and you just got to learn the game and, and anybody can do it. It's the truth. And I've seen it go zero to hero all the time. And, um, and so you get it, you get that. What then though, what I believe in, you know, I had my little sliver of part of this was just doing the business and carrying that energy through the fulfillment. So leading people into action that way and with, with good ethics and integrity and, and showing them, you know, the true business for what it was in a very systematic way um, that, you know, if you were to really follow the steps and really take the action and do it, you know, oftentimes it, you have to show up with enthusiasm. You can't just show up with a pulse, but you got to show up and do it. But if you do it, there's a result to be had. Yeah, I think there's a misconception that this business is easy. And I think HGTV has ruined a lot of things. It, it's so shiny and packed, packaged in an hour show, but I don't want to focus too much on that. I just, it's important for, you know, just the sake of, we're going to talk a little bit more about data and how complex it's gotten, but you've really worked coming up through the appraisal, getting your broker's license, being a real estate investor, and then operating sort of in the education space. You see why people um, win and fail. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's important conversation as we get into really where you've gone. So yeah. in Fortune yeah. Builders, you got more into the marketing side. You really help them a lot with their marketing. And I have to say, I've probably been in marketing now well over 20 years. The last 10 years has been insane. Yeah. The, the different channels I have to focus on, the amount of um, just reaching people, breaking yeah. through all the noise has gotten so much more complicated. Yeah. Um, well, how do you do, marketing. 
Yeah. So, you know, th- like this is, this is the kind of the, the, ch- the cheater line, the inside line that I got that like really sparked the, the marketing juices for me was a um, flying underneath and learning underneath Dan Merrill. He's like a marketing guy. Like he's just, that's the way he thinks marketing and acqu- in sales, marketing and sales, marketing and sales. That's his brain. And so I was, he, I was under his right wing, you know, like for many years, like I got to, he, he, I got to follow his patterns and follow his leader and, and see why he was doing a lot of what he was doing. And I carried that over into real estate. Right. Um, and, and so I had the opportunity to um, manage all of the marketing and acquisitions at CT homes in here in San Diego County. And that's um, their real estate invest, Dan Merrill owns CT homes and that's their investment company. And so I was leading all of their marketing and acquisitions there. And so I had his marketing budget, his marketing influence, and all I had to do is show up enthusiastically to work, right? And just be a part of it and just go and see the experiments unfold and okay, what are we doing and adjust and, and go and, and try to create something, be on the front edge of what's working, what's not working. That was the seat that I got to sit in for four years. And, and I cherish that, you know, I really, because it, I was you know, not that it was, you know, free marketing money, but it was like, as long as we could justify the budget, we had the budget to do what we needed to do. Now to be clear, clear, the strategy was going after off market equity deals, correct? Correct. Exactly. So okay. yeah, we're, we're trying to find investment opportunities and working directly with um, sellers, you know, pre-market pre, you know, we had an MLS strategy, but this was, you know, all to single family to below four unit, you know, two to four unit SFR, two to four unit type of acquisitions. Um, most of equity, but um, t- over the years that I was there, I mean, we, we were doing a high volume of transactions, you know, 80 to hundred ish tra- type of transactions per year. So um, that's, you know, we, I got really good at the foreclosure niche. Um, there was several years there where we were doing 50 to 60 foreclosures um, per year. We were doing um, 50, that same volume in short sales there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got really, really great at working within a team of foreclosures and short sales. And, and again, that's where property radar was like our silver bullet to all of, you know, dissecting those transactions and uh, setting up the team for success all the way through that. Well, certainly in a specific period of time from say like 2007 to 2010, the majority of everybody's opportunity I, I shouldn't say the majority, but it was far easier to have conversations with banks uh, through the foreclosure or the short sale route because talking to equity sellers was very difficult um, because a lot of times they knew the prices had gone down. But when you were presenting an offer and you were in years like 07 where prices were coming down so quickly in California, I mean, here in the Inland Empire, we halved our price. Our, our median price. It was insane. And in some neighborhoods, it was worse. <laughs> so, you know, you show up and uh, maybe you send out a postcard and you, if you were talking to an equity seller, they call you a month later, you're like, yeah, that price was good for that month. It's come down. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're redoing that. Yeah. Brutal, brutal, brutal. So going after the distressed market was clearly, you know, very popular. And then Sean made the switch from foreclosure radar to property radar, um, which is really important because the strategy very much changed. So you fell into marketing there. So after you left Fortune Builders, um, what have you been doing since? Well, yeah. So I spent so many years in the experiments of marketing. So direct mail, I ran all the direct mail campaigns, pulled all the lists, did all of the uh, pay-per-click, all of the, um, you know, the social media, the YouTube for, for CT homes and everything. You know, I had all of my hands in, in that stuff. Uh, copywriting, everything that goes down into it. I, I took that and um, essentially started my own company where we, we do it, you know, on our, on our turf and, and then, but really wanting to know, take this because what I proved over the years, and, and it was always kind of like, I knew I was in like the science lab, you know, just doing all these different experiments. And, and here's the, the real, ins- the the best part of what I was doing was not only was I creating results in our market so, and failures, right? Learning and, and adjusting and winning and learning and you know doing all of that on a day to day basis with my team, but having the opportunity to be a teacher. So I was teaching at Fortune Builder. We had a studio there 
a training room. And so uh, once a month, it, well, it got to be once a month, I would host a training where 90 people from across the country would show up for three days and I would teach exactly what we're doing in the marketplace right now, currently. This is the letter we're sending. This is the, you know, the messaging that we're doing. It's the frontline insight to everything that we're doing. And so um, the best way to learn is to teach. I believe that. And so I really love teaching and I really love that the way you can really sharpen your own skills by being a great dedicated teacher. And so that was my teaching outlet. And so I, I, by having that, I would always get and inspire the conversations from other people across the country, you know, like, Oh, what's happening in your market? Oh, what try this? Oh. And I would get connected to the results. And so I started to establish like, a common like what is working across the country what is working and what can i start taking at a scale and really doing and um and so i just put together the key systems that it takes to run a a marketing engine from a very small simple level to that has scale so you can add to it and have run 10 15 different campaigns all as long as you have it all integrated it is truly just a funnel that goes through a channel into, you know, and ultimately an inbox, but, or a CRM where you're managing your leads. And, and so that's what I would teach. It's the funnel aspect that you have to have a wider net and then step by step into a sales process. And um, so we, I just, we just spent years developing that, that process. And, and now I offer that across the country to other people that, that are really want to pour into the science of marketing and acquisitions because it's always different. You got to know the science of it to follow it, right? Yeah. So realestatefunnels.com, that is your your company. Yeah. And I love the word funnels because it's, it's channel neutral. So let's yeah. start at the beginning. Somebody comes to you and says, is it the people that are coming to you, is it because they're not good at marketing or they're trying to outsource just because they're good at a specific side of the business? What are they looking at before they come to you? Most of the time it's people that are scaling. You know, okay. so you, 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 when you're growing, you, you can, there's only so much you can do. Right. And so oftentimes um, the marketing is, it's where you're spending your money. So business owners, myself included, we all keep a really tight grip on your marketing dollars and what you're spending on your marketing and this and that uh, for the most part. And uh, oftentimes it's uh, a the business owner doesn't, spend enough time there to be, you know, have a total relevant understanding. They might have a vague understanding of what is today's marketing, but it starts getting complex quick. Um, as far as where do you go? How do you develop a plan? How do you track it? All these different things that go into it. So um, it's usually the business. My clients are the ones that are, are making it a, from a going from a, that small business space to, okay, now we're running a team. Now we're going. And now we got a marketing budget consistently. And now we're, now we're really going for it. Um, those are my clients and the, the ones that are shifting into that, that space. And, and they're, that way they can, they're, they're outsourcing their marketing department to a team, myself and my team. This is all we do. Like this is, we know what questions to ask. We know where, where to focus our attention as far as Okay, which demographic? Well, let's go data. I call it data hunting. Let's go see where your demographic is. Let's go see, you know, you, you'll learn real quick if you should be focusing on foreclosures or not, depending on how many there are, right? You know, so you just go, I go data hunting into the marketplace and we develop a plan based on the data and, and their ultimate strategy. Are, are, you, are you oftentimes helping them refine exactly. their... You are. So you're actually almost consulting them on like, hey, I know you've been focused here, but the data is telling me this. Really? 100%. It's, it, yeah, it's all it, the whole thing. It's a, you have to consult through it because it's not it's not a it's not the same answer everywhere. So you, I always go into it to understanding where the results have come from. Uh, where there's, there has there been a success pattern that we can pick up on? If there is, great. If there isn't, then we need to develop one. So that's fine. Where's the most logical place to start developing a baseline of success that we can then start working on and okay. improve? Um, and that's what it that's what it really takes. We talk at Property Radar about chocolate versus peanut butter. Chocolate being who you bring to the business, what people are good at inherently, to where they can just it's it's how they develop their niches because it's who they bring to the party. 
And then there's the peanut butter, which is the data. It's when the marriage of those two. So one of the questions I would immediately get from, you know, referring somebody like you would be, well, he's just going to execute the same, you know, investor carrot website and he's going to be running the same exact ads and I'm going to be competing with his other clients. What do you say to that? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And so right now um, there's, hey, first and foremost, like there's, everybody has access to most of the same tools. I don't, there's I don't have anything that's like, woo. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Like I will, I'll show you the way and and I'll teach you, um, you know, I can teach anybody the DI, the DIY people. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of them. I'll just do it. You just described that profile. Like, well, he's just going to, and I can do it. Yeah. You can do it too. Right. And you can go to grocery store and pick up everything just like, you know, and you can go do like, and we can all do it. It's not right. a problem. Where do you want to focus your time and your ROI personally is the question. Now, uh, yes, I've had tremendous result with carrot websites as an example. So if there's a success pattern there, I'm not going to tell you to change it. Let's say, let's continue to maximize it, but let's look where else we can um, maximize your results. And most of the time there's people run into a blank slate. They don't, they don't have that level of thought or um, time to energy to answer these questions. And that's where they, they start leaning on somebody that can say, all right, this is how I would approach it. I would focus on this data set. This is in line with what you can offer them, right? What are you offering? Are you only offering cash offers, right? Is that your only trick? Mm -hmm. Okay. First let's work on that. But number two, like, let's make sure that you're, you're, we're spending the time with the demographic that can say yes to your cash offers and not, you know, something else, right? It's got to be a good match there. Um, How often do, in your experience, so you're clearly uh, talking to somebody who's already got experience, doesn't sound like you're necessarily trying to tackle people who are brand new. So in their mind, they, they already have an avatar, if you will, like a target. How many times when you go through the, the process of onboarding, do they end up changing who they decide to market to? Almost I mean, always, always, almost always. Yeah, almost always. Well, it's interesting working with a, a marketing person that understands the business enough to, to know the insides and how, and the other opportunities that there are. So that's interesting. It's just interesting. So, yeah. you know, like, and especially now, I mean, like, because the data set is changing so much with, you know, the, what is happening right now, you know, like, um, so there's so many, so many people, um, they're, they're looking right now and they're, they're just kind of scratching their head. The foreclosures are gone. The easy answers the what, you know, where that have been there or whatever, they're, those are, it's all changing. Right. And so, um, but uh, the opportunities are always there. And so what I always do, and just, uh, when we debrief with our clients, but, um, it, you, you can, Right now, it's people with equity. You know, it's that second homes are people are selling those things quickly. You know, it's the the land rich, cash poor is is happening, and so people are having to adjust. You know, their their position. You know, with their assets to to get more cash into their hand. Right now, it's just happening, um, and it's going to continue to happen right now. And so we're not going to be we're not going to be in the foreclosure game for a little while. Um, yeah you know, but we are going to be, people are going to be trading equity for cash, you know, so. For sure. Um, We're watching all the winners and losers across all the different categories. There's going to be a lot of interesting things to watch for. And some of it, we just don't know. Nobody can predict because we don't know the, the path to containment and control of the virus. And, you know, the longer this goes on and people get a chance to sort of dig in their heels into a lifestyle adjusting to this, what if you can educate and work from anywhere in the world and you decide to take your kids on a nonstop Airbnb hopper every month, you're just going to go to a different Airbnb <laughs> across the country and experience something new. There's, there's just so many different ways that people can play this pandemic and it's going to be interesting to see real estate's role in that. Here in California, the market's very hot. Um, COVID-19 has definitely uh, changed that up. Are you seeing any major issues with marketing and communicating and finding people? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's in California, it's been hard, um, been hard hit on this topic for sure. And, um, you know, so the, the thing to me is like, 
the people that are actively marketing and, and if you're getting your message out there effectively right now, there's, there's, I've had my clients have record months and I've had other clients that are, um, you know, that are, are struggling to see the opportunity. So I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mindset happening right now internally, externally. So just know like that's just true. Um, but the, the thing is like, we've been, we've been really good at just using low cost marketing strategies like SMS type of marketing strategies that allow us to get to such a broad spectrum of, of data set. Mm-hmm. So we're just turning through more data, people, yeses, noes, faster, bigger. And so um, we're, we're turning up, you know, ratios that, um, that are great. You know, our, our lead uh, conversion right now is strong. And, um, and so it, it's, we're just figuring out how to be more efficient through this game and in processing. Let's back up a little bit, real estate funnels. Let's define funnel. If somebody yeah. is stumbling upon this, um, sure. let's, what do you, how do you describe a funnel? Yeah. So I sales funnel. So there's a top of the funnel you'll hear in sales and that's how people first meet you, you know, how first see you it's the top of the funnel. So, um, it's that first outreach. Okay. So that's, that's the very top of the funnel. Then, then there's the next step down a sales process to where you actually, you know, convert into a, you know, money, if you will. Right. And so there's all these different stages that happen. And so, each one of those stages has conversion ratios. You meet this many people and then out of certain percentage of those people um, want to talk to you again. And then a certain percent of those people want to talk to you even further. And then, then a certain percentage actually, um, you know, become a sale. So that's just a a sales principle in, in process. So in real estate funnel systems, we're, we just build that process for our clients. We're just through that process because to me, that's where all of the answers that seem so vague, well, what's working? What's not working? Well, let's look at your funnel. Let's look at your conversions in your ratios where that's where the answers are. Are you, um, if you're reaching, if you have a 50% response rate, but you have a 0.1% conversion rate that just tells me you're talking to so many people but nobody's interested right nobody's interested so like okay so let's understand these ratios i would rather talk to a fewer amount of people that converted a much higher ratio right so do you, you have, have a target ratio a conversion ratio out of the gate that you're always in the back of your mind you want to hit yeah in per channel so you know like right now we're 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 playing so heavy in the, the, the science of text message marketing. And it's really, that's a fun arena. And that's not the only arena that we play in, but that's a fun arena to play in uh, because you, you're so much instant results. Really? Okay. Uh, you know, test and measure is like, you can test one phrase against another phrase as an open liner and get a ratio within an hour. Wow. Okay. Okay. You know, because just 80% of your responses when you send a text message happen within the first hour. Okay. Wow. So you, you just get this level of instant result back. And so then, you know, of course the results will continue to come in from a text message beyond that. But um, when you start understanding like, Hey, we can create these phrases, intro statements, conversation starters, and you have to be as creative as possible. Here's, here's the, 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 the challenge of all this game is that we're at war with the carriers. Okay, the carriers are trying to shut down spam and sales and all this stuff. They, they don't want this to be happening. And we are systematically doing it. Okay, so we have to be compliant. There's a whole set of rules and things that you have to be aware of in order to even be relevant in this arena. So... And I'm not that guy, so I would definitely <laughs> hire only people that know how to play the space carefully. Well, like you know, so if you, it becomes really heartbreaking when you have you you're all jazzed up on your text message campaign and you build a, a an opening line phrase and you send it out to a thousand people and it didn't get delivered to any of them. Why? And you don't even know why. 
Oh. In, in, until you go further and then you ask more questions and you go, you know, spend hours and 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 hours finding out that there are certain keywords and there's not a published list necessarily, but there's certain keywords that if you put them in any text message, it will immediately go spam, get marked. So there's a, there's a whole science and algorithm that you've got to be aware of to then play into so you're saying that the carriers will shut down the delivery before it even happens. Yeah, based on work. Oh. Okay, quick yeah. embarrassing story. I learned this really hard lesson. I, I love to test. I bought this program and I, I forgot where I bought this email list of realtors. It was a long time ago. I bought this program knowing that if I tried to email the realtors out of the blue, cold email, that the internet service providers would shut me down because it says... I don't know who you are. You've never emailed this person before. So AOL, cut me off. Yes. So I was like, okay, I know the name of this game. So I bought a program that throttled one email a minute and I just left it running for weeks until one day it was, <laughs> it was clear that none of the emails from anybody in the company was being delivered. It was just everything was bouncing and we're like, what happened? I had been blacklisted by three different internet service providers. I thought I had understood the rules. We had to hire a technology company an entire week at high expense to beg to be unblacklisted because we couldn't send emails out at all. It was terrible. <laughs> so I can't stress the importance of doing it right. <laughs> and, and I didn't know the carriers were onto that game and were able to shut things down. So that's good to know. Oh, totally. No, exactly right. And I've got so many more stories of just like that. Exactly. And, and how would you know, right? And until because these little hacks show up and this and that and, and but it's, it's a serious game. And so I've had clients like, oh, because you can now skip trace, skip tracing has opened the door to a whole lot of people to a whole lot of information that didn't previously have access to it. Like whether, you know, like, it's just now skip tracing has gotten so, um, easy compared to five years ago, even, you know, even 10 years ago, skip tracing was just, you know, private detective stuff. Like now it's like, you buy a list, go skip trace it. Where do you get, you know? Yeah. Um, so now people will take that list and then just cold email and do cold email campaigns and, and then blow up their URL and get flagged and get, and then all of a sudden their, their SEO goes and they're like, it's all connected. It is. You have to be so careful. It's all connected. So, mm. and understanding that it's all connected, when you build out your funnel strategy, like you, there's certain, it's not that you can't play in the cold email game, but you have to do it in a way that if it breaks, it won't tip anything else bad. Okay. Right. You ha There's fi certain firewalls that you can set up to still dabble, still run experiments in certain arenas. Right. Okay. So, so just, just to kind of keep relevant, but uh, at the end of the day, like we, we really, really love uh, the experiments that we've been playing with the text message game and in establishing and improving upon metrics uh, on that game. Cause it's inspiring. So the, the text sounds like a top of funnel uh, awareness uh, function. Is it, is it a function strictly of the cost per impression? Yeah. It, deliverability. Okay. okay. And, and then response, timeliness of the response. It, win, it wins just about every category uh, down the, the funnel, if you will, uh, when done properly. So like our, our texting campaigns, um, they, they have the highest um, deliverability rate. And then um, so you know that your client, we can measure how many of them just even got to our clients. We know exactly 98% of our message got right to our client's pocket. Okay, perfect. That's what I want to know. Right. And then I can see, OK, how many of them, um, you know, obviously responded to them or in the open rate. OK, wow. Oh, wow. I can see that. And then then how many replied directly to us within how long. Right. Okay. You can see that metric really quickly. And so uh, all the way down to a contract. And, and um, yeah, it's we're. So it's, you start with text and what other what other channels are you really incorporating into your integrated marketing strategies these days? Yeah. So, um, well, we work text and our, we do a custom Facebook audience. Um, so with, with marketing, it's, 
the omnipresence of, you know, you got to just kind of be around your clients, you know, essentially. And the better you can do that, the better, the more effective your marketing is. So um, I like, and what we're focused on as a company is just direct to your cell phone marketing, right? That's, that's the device that we're all addicted to, that it's now, the smartphone is now in just about everybody's hand. You know, my grandma, like from head to toe, my son, who's, you know, like it, everybody's got them now. It's just like period. Right. So that's Fast where I want my marketing. Too. Fast well, way to that, cut the noise. Fast way to cut through the noise. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so with that being said, so we, we do some RVM messaging. We dabble in that, but R, what, what does RVM stand for? Ringless voicemail message. Ah, got it. Yeah. 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 So we used to do that a lot more than we are doing it now because it, it that's, um, it creates a lot of noise and um, it, the rest of the metrics, the conversion ratios down the RVM route have not been as good uh, for whatever reason. Uh, people like to get upset about that delivery bit method. Um, but the, the, so we do RVM text message and we do um, Facebook custom audience. And so we match our audience to Facebook so that our message is being delivered, delivered direct, directly to them. So just about any time, they're on their cell phone. They're, they're going to be hearing from us. They've always got it. They don't have to go to the mail to pick it up. Now, do you, you still like direct mail as a channel? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, we're, we're just very selective in when we do our direct mail. Direct mail is always going to have its place. I, I'm a firm believer in, in historically, if you were to say, well, where have you gotten your most results from? Historically, you would, I would have to say direct mail. Like, you know, granted, I have the most years doing direct mail for sure. Um, but direct mail will always have a place. I just use kind of a reverse funnel, um, process to it. Like I, I use the lower cost per touch points to weed through the list. If I can start a conversation with you for five cents or less, let me do that before I send you a dollar, you know, before I spend a dollar to talk to you. Okay. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, so that's, that's kind of my approach. I'll, you know, we use that as filtering right down to okay, this, this part of the list didn't react to anything else. And here we go. Um, the, the peso model of marketing, it's a, it's a chart. I forget. I'll, I'll post a, if you're on YouTube listening to this, I'll, I'll post it if you're not familiar with the model and I forget who created it. It's one of the most brilliant ways that I've seen sort of the different function of marketing, public relations and advertising sort of communicated. Um, it all stands for paid, earned, shared and owned. And sort of in the middle of those circles that are all running into each other, you have influence. So do you sit down with customers and sort of find out where they're going to thrive the most? How much is people centric versus market centric? Oh, it's so people focused, really, honestly. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think that's how, that's my approach and that's my vantage point to it. I, th- I really believe it's, um, it, it, this, what we do, it, it's, um, it's a people business, right? And so how we approach, what we, how we say, how we set up, um, every step of the communication is about connection with our clients and, and how we support them in making a very serious decision, you know? And so, um, so, so you'll tweak your campaigns to back a little bit more into them personally, instead of doing the same exact cookie cutter for every client. Of course. Yeah. You, you really, I mean, we have a baseline, we have a really great template. Right. To work from. Exactly. Okay. But, but everybody's, everybody's a little bit different. And so, um, but I definitely, uh, I, tr- I try to steer my clients into um, a really well-rounded uh, real estate approach. You know, like this, I think uh, my approach to real estate has always been um, investor and real estate agent working together, you know, and really balancing different options and not pigeonholing a client into one scenario or one option, if you will. So um, that creates better results, better testimonials, better, I mean, all the way down the line, more options. There's a bazillion different benefits of, of really setting yourself up uh, that way on the front end. And so that's what I really help my clients see and execute at a more efficient level. Let me run around the peso wheel and maybe get some ideas of the metrics that you think are important that people might not be thinking of and how successful they have been in the mix. So let's start at the very end with own. How important is it for a real estate professional to have 
their own developed channels, like their own website, the things that they ultimately control that are not reliant on anybody else but them. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's important. Um, that's what I would call the foundation. You know, okay. what you own is is your foundation. And um, I think the, the more long-term committed you are to the business, the, the more important your foundation is, period. You know, if, and so... Um, so yeah, I always encourage everybody to to you know have a, a strong foot forward on your your base website, what you own it, um, and your YouTube channel. You know that that's that's the other asset that um, that I'm you're going to be hearing more and more and more of is YouTube is growing its influence and its its media center is staggering. So, uh, people like really understanding, you know, that's something, those are assets that you can own and communication channels that you can share. So that's what I'm, I'm really helping clients understand and start to build out. I think the own plays the most important role in the, the sort of the search engine optimization space as well. I always warn in, uh, real estate professionals, lock up all your brands on all the social, but make sure that you're also in social, you things like address and if you're marketing to people and they sort of go searching on the internet, <laughs> you have to be very careful what shows up. You better know what's showing up. And if you don't, I think people can get suspicious. I think that's really changed. Once upon a time, it was fine if you didn't have a website. I think it's not only important for you to have a website, you have to look a little bit like a professional. Yes. I, you know what? I, I mean, so th- there's two sides to that, I'll say. Um, okay. And, yeah, there's two sides to that. I, and, and I see this in the field. Uh, quite a bit because the the right an- the right answer is the more established you are and you come across online it helps in every way it just everything is easier if that's the case um so that's the answer you know put a put a lock and key on that and especially you know as as the longer you play the game now this the the caveat to that is um if i'm in a direct response scenario with a client, how often have I had them um, or handled that objection of like, well, let me see your website before I talk to you or get real serious about this. It, the, in the, the hand-to-hand combat scenario of, you know, you know that phone sale moment, um, it doesn't come up that often, okay? Now, how often does it come up when you, and you don't know about it? Those are the, de- you know, like when they're doing things that you, they didn't tell you they looked at it, right? They, but they surely did. You know, you, how do you measure that? Right. And so. You're right. That's, that's hard. I, <clears throat> banded signs were one of those things where somebody said, oh, put a number and you want them to call and you want to talk to them. Don't send them to, don't put your website on a banded sign. It's mm-hmm. you call. <laughs> so, okay. I just, uh, as far as own stuff, you can look at, uh, it's just ranking locally too. Wherever you're investing, you can start playing the search engine optimization game of ranking for your keywords. Mm-hmm. And because as you're building out websites, you can actually drive down paid ads because you're basically driving people to be useful. And I think especially as we get into voice search optimization, as we engage more with these voice bots, it's something that we have to learn how to play the game better. And it's just setting up your brand appropriately, backing into what you're doing, creating content that makes sense for your brand. And location, absolutely, and the, and that's it's like the snowball that just keeps building. The better the better you do it up front, you just it just pays off big as you go. So well, with a lot of the funnels too, I always warn people. One of my goals is always to drive it to own channels, something that I can control. Trying to capture their their email, their phone number, or drive them to the website to where I can deliver sort of remarketing campaigns. Because social makes me nervous. I mean, we've got Friendster, MySpace, Vine. You know, we're looking at TikTok maybe becoming an issue. When you build your entire brand on a social channel that you don't control and that could go away, Oh yeah, it is really scary. Um, It's really hard to predict. Yeah. What's, have you had good success on social media when it comes to conversions that you can point to because of social ads? It's hard. Um, It's the hardest arena. Um, No, we're... It's the engagement. Um, so the the ads that we've been playing with that we've had um, the best results as of lately are the ones of uh, the messenger bot 
ad style. So we're mm-hmm. actually creating an engaging, you know, so it, when, and it's funny how we are, it's like, this is part of our science of human nature right now is how we just want a response right away. It's like this instant thing, you know, so if I can get a response right away, then you have my attention, right? So right. that's how those, those bot ads work is like, hey, learn more information. They click that learn more information, then boom, a question with a yes or a no button. And if the question is engaging enough, it's easy to get me to put yes or no. Very little effort, yes or no. I'll see where this is going to go. Okay. So you know, and then you, then you have another engaging question that will have, you know, it's choose your own adventure style question. So it just makes it easier for them to naturally engage with you, which brings them down further down the psychological sales process. More right. commitment, more interest, more, more interest. On YouTube, it's, you said that was an exciting channel for you. Why? Um, because I think that it, it plays a big role in SEO in the, in the bigger foundation of your footprint. And, and I think that, um, YouTube is, you know, there's now YouTube TV, right? So where instead of Comcast or whatever else, you're just paying YouTube. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's already here. And that's going to be growing. And so what that allows is the internet and you can take your YouTube my YouTube account to when I take my European vacation or wherever else, I still have my access to my same media and everything else. And so um, the, in the ch- channel viewership is growing in commitment to like, you know, uh, YouTube fans and, you know, like being dedicated. I now have a handful of YouTube channels that I'm like a dedicated fan of. Right. And for not only for, you know, like, personal but professional and in all these different niches now i'm using youtube more in my life than i ever have and i think that that's going to be continue to spool for um all of us but you should see my son holy cow he why is he a a youtuber or well like he he followed i mean like and this is a big part of why i'm developing this opinion is because like man my the way watching my 10 year old and the way he's interacting with the device, the internet and whatever else, it's YouTube. Mm-hmm. He's following YouTubers. He has, he's subscribes to you and, and he found his niche. He found his world and, and it's, it's incredible the amount of content. And then the other followings, there's millions of people following the same little niche that you and I would have no idea that is out there. Yeah, I heard a metric that 70% of views on YouTube at this point are now coming from the algorithm as well. So as you're sort of processing that metric, why it plays such a good role in SEO, if you do it right, there's some opportunities to optimize at the channel level, the playlist level, and then the video level. So everything from your... Your, your title to the description to closed captioning to the buttons that you the artwork that you create it's it is a science and uh, now you're letting the secrets out yes well I, I do eventually I, I do want to get a specific youtuber on the channel to really talk about the data and the science the science behind each of these channels because it's not and I think that's why a lot of people are going to come to somebody like you um, you happen to use property radar it's one of the, the the technology stacks that you can use to help people discover the audience but the the social media stack is sometimes very dependent on the personality and the person. Some people are just really awkward in front of YouTube. It, I always say as a joke, like maybe you have a radio face. <laughs> just, if you're awkward in front of YouTube, it's, it's awkward. Nobody's going to watch you. So you really need to understand what you bring to the table or find somebody in your company who can do that. Um, but it, it is... When you do a Google search, and I know Google is still a very predominant search engine, uh, the vast majority of traffic that I see to web, our websites that I'm involved in, that's where it's coming from. Um, you get the paid ads up front. The geographic ads are there, some natural, and video ranks really high. Um, once upon a time, tweets were showing up in search on mobile, but not on desktop, but now the tweets are gone again. So it's you know it's playing the game. Uh, I was just writing... Google owns... YouTube, the second largest search engine. You just have to know. So it's good. Okay. Um, paid. Paid ads have definitely changed for me. And I, it's in our space, in the real estate professional space, the cost has gone up a lot. A lot. And the conversion rate has gone down. <laughs> so we have gone away. 
Yeah. Front paid ads. That's great to hear. I think that's so important. I think people end up through. When you see what you just said, it just, that I, it's just, yep. I have to tell you a, a, a quick story because this is hilarious. I paid, I survived real estate uh, with the Norris Group. It was a, a nonprofit function we did. And an HDTV brand I talked to, this is not HDTV itself, but it was an affiliate website. They're like, oh, we can get you millions of views. And you know, I'm like, okay, well, okay, I'm going to give you this ad, millions of views. Even if I get like 0.01%, that's going to drive some great traffic. Over three months, millions of supposed website impressions that I was being delivered. I had three click-throughs. <laughs> I just want to, I, I paid $3,000 and I negotiated that because it was a nonprofit event. So I paid $1,000 per click. I couldn't measure any conversions because I couldn't. <laughs> and so I basically am pretty sure that it was me on clicking those, making sure it was still working. <laughs> so, uh, really rough lesson. Don't do that. When you're talking to somebody that is talking strictly about impressions and not conversions, I just always warn people, run away. If they're not having a really solid conversation about conversions, you're, you're working with the wrong people. Uh, well said. Totally, totally agree. And painful lesson that I've learned time and time again. Um, and it always comes down to conversion. You're so, so right. And um, without that metric, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Without a conversion metric, it just doesn't freaking matter. I also remember the very first time I hired somebody to do my paid ads and I was so proud of myself. I set it up. I'm like, yeah, my reach is 200,000. And my, you know, my click-throughs are this and my conversions this. He came in and he, he more than halved and nothing happened to my conversions except I played less for them. I'm all, okay, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> we're, we're running out of time. We're getting to the end and we're a little bit all over the place. But I wanted to land on this E concept. And I'm, I'm going to do another show on the earned, the public relations society, uh, side of things. But I want to cover it this way with you. Yeah. Somebody hires you in outsourcing because they're wanting to scale. On the earned media front, what, the, what can they do to support you? Um, in everything that you're doing? Is it being out in the community? Is it um, creating content in-house and you leveraging it? Is it closing more deals because they're taking you know, training on sales? Like, How can pe- your customers help you do more business? Yeah, wonderful question. Thank you. Um, con- content's king right now um, to me. You know, so I, I just... Anytime that I'm, I, I have a whole schedule of videos that I'm to be shooting, you know, my queue is long, you know, and, and so a big push for us is just to put out quality content. I mean, you know, things that we believe in, um, I want to be helping as many people as possible. I, I truly believe in leading that way um, with serve. Um, I seek to serve and, and it's just the way it, that's the way um, I've always run my business. And so um, I see putting out content that way. If I can help you and if I can help you for free, I will surely will. But a lot of people and my serious clients and the more serious you are about it, the more they want to pay you because the more they get out of you. And it's just the way, um, you, you can buy any book for, you know, for what it is, but to really get it, you, you go, you know, and, um, and that's how I, I'm going to operate. You know, I'm not trying to be a, a, the biggest marketing agency in the world. It, I'm, what I'm trying to be is really focused on the quality and the niche of my clients. And I do only work with one client per market. I do not double stack markets on top of each other whenever I work with anybody. And it's because I'm dedicated to my client and their results, mm. period. That's, that's what I have to be. Okay. Is there any kind of content that you just think we should be focused on? Yeah. Um, for me, I think the um, the mass migration, you know, of of what's what's happening on the big scale and and what are the bigger trends, so that that we can be you, we individually can better position. If we understand a mass trend, a direction of of what's happening, you can now put yourself in a better position in in front of that mass, whatever's 
happening in that one direction. And and here's a simple example, and, and there's so many more. And, and but um, like the baby boomers retiring, and and how many how many people are downsizing in any one market, and and for with equity, and they're they're you know they're going they're they're selling the house that they've owned for 20 years you know those that mass migration of people um understanding that for what it is Mm -hmm. so that you can say wow there's there is a big channel a mass migration of something happening how can i stand in front of it to serve them how can i make sure that i can help them with whatever they're doing in this mass way i want my marketing message i want my business i want everything to be in line with service there well we have run out of time but i'm going to make sure to post um, all the links on the website and maybe i'm hoping that you can join me on the live premiere in a couple of weeks on this and we can answer questions if that's cool with you yeah i would love to of course okay Thank you for listening to the Data-Driven Real Estate Podcast. You can find show notes and links to some of the resources mentioned in the show at datadrivenrealestate.com. Click that, join the community, and you'll be forwarded to the Property Radar community where you can ask questions about the current show and even see upcoming guests and ask questions there. We'd love to engage with you in the community, so check it out. Please don't forget to like, favorite, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform where you're listening to the show. It helps us out a great deal. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.